Thank you for joining us for our weekly Calvary Church podcast. Please take a moment and visit InvernessCalvary.com to get connected with us. We want to know what God is doing in your life through this ministry. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you may do so online. Now prepare your heart for a word that we pray will bless your life. We are uh, continuing this morning in our sermon series, I Can See. And last week uh, we had uh, Pastor Eclid come all the way from Congo, receive a word from the Lord, and spoke a message called I Can See. He had no idea uh, the sermon series that we were in, so we knew we were really hearing from God. And I want to really encourage you, if you haven't been uh, listening to the past two uh, sermon series, I want you to go to InvernessCalvary.com, go back there and listen to these messages that will really help you to develop a vision, God's vision for your life. And not only that, uh, but also begin to understand who God has called us to be uh, as a church, how we are to answer our call to this community. It's imperative that you and I see, that you and I can see, not just in the physical, but in the spirit. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18, we've been reading this a lot together, and we wanted to really get it in our spirit, says this, where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint, but happy is he who keeps the law, where there is no uh, unveiling of what God is saying to us, uh, people cast off restraint, that means that they just go wherever they want to go, wherever they feel like they should go or could go, just because there's an open door or an opportunity doesn't mean that you should go through it. I remember when I was first answering the call to go into full-time vocational ministry, um, I had prayed and prayed and prayed about God opening a door. Well, at the time, right before I came here, God not only opened a door here, but he opened the door in two other locations at the very same time. I'm like, Lord, why would you do that? Here's why. Uh, because he requires that we would listen to his voice. Every door of, uh, of, of opportunity that, that comes by doesn't mean that you have to take it. You want to live by vision. Now, our mission here at Calvary, I would describe this as our corporate call. Uh, the culture here at Calvary, uh, you see it on the wall. Our mission is to together extravagantly love Jesus and together selflessly love people. And that is the culture of everything that we do here. But we have a statement that, that kind of uh, begins to sum up what we want to see in the life of every believer every person who comes to, to Calvary. We describe this as our vision. And our vision is actually on the back of t-shirts that you'll see on the front. It says Calvary Church. But on the back, it tells people our vision. And it says this, our vision is to see people saved, healed, empowered, and launched into their calling. We believe that every single person that God intends for us as individuals to encounter all of these things, all of them. I tell you what, I have never had more conversations about a t-shirt than I, than I do when I'm wearing that one. 
It doesn't matter if people are going to church. It doesn't matter if, if they've been in church all of their life. I tell you, I've had more conversations. Where, well, that church's kind of interesting. It opens doors. Why? Because there is something in the heart of mankind that God put there that it lets each one of us know God wants you to experience these things. It's our vision that every single person would experience all four of these. You say, how can you know for sure that God wants us all to experience these things? Well, it's actually discovered in a passage from Exodus chapter 6. And every year during Passover, the Jewish people actually read this over their Passover meal at the Passover Seder. And there are, at that Passover Seder, four cups. And these four cups actually have names. These four cups that are, that are, 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 are drank from during the Passover Seder. The Passover, of course, is the celebration of, of how God had mercy on his people And when the death angel came and swept through Egypt as the final judgment on Egypt, he passed over Egypt. They didn't die. uh, It passed over Israel, rather. They, They did not suffer the consequences. Why? Because blood had been applied to their homes. So God passed over them. So they celebrate that. So it was in this salvation moment that this scripture was declared. Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 and 7, it says, Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgments. And I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. There are actually four uh, cups and four um, uh, experiences for the individual to be experienced um, in Exodus chapter 6. The first cup is called this, and we're going to talk about this today. It's the cup of sanctification. Uh, you, could, you could, if you're taking notes, you could actually write down salvation. The word sanctification actually means to be set apart. The scripture is, I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. These are the actual names of the cups in this Passover Seder. In this salvific moment that Israel experienced many years ago, these cups are derived from that moment. The second is the cup of deliverance. We call that healing. This is, I will free you from being slaves to them. It sounds almost like the same thing that was stated. But actually, as you're going to hear next week, you, you, you have to understand, not only does God bring you out of Egypt, but God gets Egypt out of you. Not only does he free you from being a slave, he actually sets you free from thinking like a slave. The next cup. It's called the cup of redemption. This is where we get the word empowered. Redemption means to buy back. It means restoration. It means restored to original intent. 
God says in Exodus 6, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. God wants every believer to experience that. And the last is called the cup of praise. Uh, this, this word is hallel. It, it literally means that there is a joy from being in relationship with God to walking with him. It says, I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. There is something in your life that erupts in praise when you know you're walking hand in hand with God in his purposes for you. There is nothing like knowing you're walking in your calling in life. And I would say the opposite is also true. There is nothing more frustrating than knowing that you're not walking in it. But there is this cup of praise. Now this is celebrated every single year. Some uh, Ju uh, some Jewish believers understand that those cups, man, we can drink of them fully in Christ. But year after year, there are many who don't accept Christ in, this, in, in, the, in, in the Jewish tradition. And they, they're, they're drinking of these cups, and these cups are types. They're trying to tell them that Christ has actually supplied all of these things. And God wants us to experience them all. And we're going to hear about that over the next few weeks. So today we're going to talk about the cup of sanctification, salvation. I want to ask you this question this morning. Do you remember the moment, the time, where you experienced being saved? I know that that sometimes is uh, uh, weird language because if you were to say just walk up to somebody on the street with no church background they would say uh, you know and you were to say hey by the way are you saved they may look at you and go from what somebody trying to get me is the NSA listening what what am I saved from you know but in church we we, we begin to understand we've heard some things and I want to talk about today what it means to actually drink from this cup. Now, I, I, my concern here today is that there are people who haven't received salvation, who haven't experienced what God is offering. And, and I would echo the words of the Apostle Paul that I implore you, I beg you, be reconciled to Christ. Be reconciled to God today. He's offering you this cup of salvation. He's done an amazing work to give it to us. Exodus 6.6, 6, there we find these words. Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. If somebody asks you, hey, well, how do I know? If I'm, I'm, I'm not saved. What are some of the symptoms? These aren't all, but I'm going to give you a few of the symptoms. Now, maybe some of you are going to be sitting here today going, man, I wonder if I'm saved. Well, you can know. The Scripture tells us you can know that you're born again. That the Spirit of God in you bears witness that you are a son or a daughter of God. You can know that you're born again. 
Well, what are some of those symptoms that you are, as this scripture says, under the yoke of the Egyptians? Well, we're going to just tie some of the story. We don't have time to go back and read all of the book of Exodus, but you could certainly do that. Go back and read the, the, uh, the, the, the horrible things, the atrocities that the Israelites experienced while they were slaves in Egypt. Now, I believe that many people today are experiencing the same things because they're not born again or born from above. You see, in the Bible, Egypt is a type of sin. It's a, it's a shadow. It's telling us a story. The slavery that God's people were in is symbolic of sin. Well, sin, you say, what is sin? Sin is a, a, a term. It means missing the mark. It is those things which we do which is contrary to God's will and way. Those happen by choice and by uh, omission. That means that we're sometimes sinning and we don't even know it. And so uh, sin is not doing things God's will and God's way. It was actually, it's actually a condition that we're born into. As a result of the story of Adam and Eve, where Adam and Eve rebelled against God and ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So Egypt is a type of sin. And yoke, the word yoke, is about control. Yoke is about control. You see, a yoke is what they would put on very strong oxen so that they could, they could do their farming and they could, they could actually do the work. But you see, a strong oxen could actually kill a man. But oxen that are yoked together and they're, they're held under a yoke, they do what they're told. So here, when God says, I'm going to remove the yoke, he says, I am going to remove the control of the enemy from your life. God says, you're under a yoke. And Exodus 6 says, I will bring you out from under the yoke and we could add, of sin. Here are some of the things that, that the Israelites experienced. First thing uh, that I'll bring to mind is that they were forced as slaves to make bricks. They didn't want to make bricks, but they were forced to make bricks. They're enslaved. Uh, have you ever been in this place uh, I know I was, where I, were, I was doing things that I really didn't want to do. Before Christ, I, and, and I would say this uh, for you who are confused, you know, about, um, I'm, I'm almost one of those people that says, you know, at six years old, I understood that if I invited Jesus into my life, I would have gold streets, mansions, angels, pearly gates. I understood that. And no Jesus would be fire, devil, torment, eternity. At six, you can figure that out. I'm like gold, okay? Jesus, I'm going with you, okay? At six years old, I stood in a, a baptismal tank, although this one is a little different. You sit in. That one, I actually walked into it, and it was so deep, I could barely stand in it. They could only see the top of my head that night in this little missionary Baptist church in Willow Oak, Florida, where I was, I said, Lord, I'm going to be buried with you in baptism and raised in newness of life. Listen, I had that figured out, but I can tell you this, 
At age 21, everything became new. And there were moments in my life between there where I was hearing God and I was doing things the right way, but there were great moments where I was enslaved. Enslaved. Doing things that I did not want to do. And I want to tell you, that is the definition of just not being saved. John 8, 34 and 35 says this, I tell you most solemnly that anyone who chooses a life of sin is trapped in a dead-end life and is, in fact, a slave. A slave is a transient who can't come and go at will. Totally enslaved. Now the good news is is that God sent his son Jesus to break us out of slavery. He sent his son to to pay the price for our sins. Why? Because we couldn't. We couldn't help ourselves. Matter of fact, Ephesians says we were dead. Dead in our trespasses and sin. You ever see a dead person help themselves? No, they cannot help themselves. They are completely dead. If you insult a dead person, they do not respond. If you flatter a dead person, they do not respond. They only respond to external pressure. Mostly CPR if you're trying to raise them. The scriptures say that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And I love that the scripture gives us a glimpse, a physical glimpse, into what happens when we receive what Christ did for us on the cross through his death, burial, and resurrection. You see Matthew chapter 27, verses 50 through 53, some of the the most awesome verses. One day I'm going to ask the Lord, please let me watch this DVD. Because I just want to see what was going on during these verses. It is, and when God, uh, when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. This is on the cross. And at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split. The tombs broke open and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs, and after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. I want to see that. I I just got to see that. You know, I got to see, you know, these people who are going about their everyday life, and Abraham walks by. Dude, you've been gone a long time. What happened? Jesus gave me life. Jesus gave me life. And this is the ultimate picture that Jesus is the one who sets us as slaves free. Because the ultimate sign of being enslaved to sin, God announced it in the garden, is death. It's death. And here, through the work Jesus did on the cross, he shows even victory over death. 
And I want to tell you today, if you're not born again, if you're not saved, if you're not in relationship with God, He offers it to you today. Freely. Maybe you're like the children of Israel when the Egyptians begin to understand that there was something about the Hebrew babies that were so healthy. They're like, how are these slaves of ours so healthy that if they keep reproducing this way, they're going to take over? So what they did was, they came up with a plan, is that they would murder all of the children, two and younger. They would throw them into the river. You know, this is where we find the genesis of Moses' ministry. His mother forms this little boat of sorts, and she lays him in a boat and pushes him out into this river. Moses' name actually means drawn out. He was found there uh, uh, by Pharaoh's daughter, and, and uh, she, she said she, she looked on him, loved him, and called for Moses' mother to come and nurse this child. She didn't know. But you know, there were many people in Israel who actually lost their children. And I, I, I want to say this. When you're enslaved, you feel empty. You, you, you feel empty. You feel abused. And, and I believe that many people are aware in this life, apart from Christ, that there is an emptiness on the inside because they're not living God's purpose. They maybe don't know that it's God that they're looking for. But see, Ecclesiastes says that God sets eternity in the hearts of all men. All men. And there's an emptiness. Can you imagine the emptiness in the mothers of those who said, man, the, what I was supposed to produce with my life is dead. I believe that that is actually going on all around us all the time by people who are enslaved by an enemy who hates them. Certainly, the devil, Satan, doesn't want your life to produce something meaningful. So when you're enslaved, you feel empty. Empty of God's purpose. Could lead to despair. The answer is hope. And Jesus is that hope. I've watched this over and over again happen. This third one, you know, there was a time where they were building bricks and Pharaoh got so mad at them, he says, listen, we're no longer going to supply the straw for them. And not only were they building their, their bricks and their quotas are going up, he says, now you're going to have to get your own straw. And this is basically this, that they're exhausted. They're exhausted. When you're enslaved, you're completely exhausted because you are pursuing things that never satisfy. 
Maybe that's you here today. You've been pursuing things that do not satisfy. If I had the time to tell you my, the whole of my own story, it would say I, I pursued wealth and it did not satisfy. I pursued relationships improperly and it did not satisfy. I pursued many, many things. Didn't satisfy. You're exhausted. But there's an invitation to rest. There's an invitation to peace. Jesus said, I'm your peace. I'm your peace. And today, if you're exhausted, it could be because you've been pursuing everything and feeling like I'm achieving nothing. That's why the suicide rate is so high in Hollywood. Because all the fame and all of the money and all of the accolades cannot provide what you're searching for. Which I believe is found in this cup. This cup of salvation, sanctification. See, you need to understand today that there genuinely is an enemy of humanity. His name's Satan. He, his name in heaven, Lucifer. He was an angel, uh, I believe, given to the, uh, the worship in heaven. His whole body full of light and full of sound. But Jesus, in a, in a grand announcement about, about thieves... He says, the, gives the, the operation of how the enemy works against us. In John chapter 10, verse 10, he says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Jesus isn't trying to take something away from you. That's the greatest lie that's going forth everywhere. He's not trying to take something away from you like, oh man, he wants my fun, he, he wants my life. No, 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 no. He's trying to give you something that you are absent of in your life. Your absence of life. You don't have abundant life apart from Christ. All you have is stealing, killing, and destroying Look around. Jesus said, I'm the answer. I'm the answer. I want you to know that when we open our hearts to Christ, He comes in and He moves into our life. I love how the message uh, recounts these words from Romans chapter 8, verse 11. It says, it stands to reason, doesn't it, that if the alive and present God who raised Jesus from the dead moves into your life, he'll do the same thing in you that he did in Jesus. Bringing you alive to himself. When God lives and breathes in you, you are delivered from that dead life. With his spirit living in you, your body will be as alive as Christ. See, that's what we believe. We believe that Christ came, that he died as a payment for our sins, that he carried our sins to hell in the grave three days. And on the third day, because hell could not keep any accusation against a perfect Savior, he, death could not hold him. So he comes out of the grave. And it's a beautiful revelation that all of us who have faith in Christ, God sends his spirit to us and and the same thing that applied to him now applies to us. See, God wants to give you life. And he will if you receive the free cup 
of salvation. 1 Peter 1, 3 and 4 says this, Because Jesus was raised from the dead, we've been given a brand new life and have everything to live for, including the future in heaven. And the future starts now. Jesus says, I'm going to give you eternal life. And eternal life begins now. That's what he does. That's what he has done. We'll say, well, okay, how do I metaphorically drink from this cup? It's actually very simple. You don't join a church. You actually become the church. And there is a door. And the one door, his name's Jesus. And that door opens through this first action, if you will, of repentance. You repent. You say, God, I've been heading in one direction my whole life, and that's not working out. God, I'm turning to you. Repentance at its heart is an action, not just an attitude. It is godly sorrow, but it's godly sorrow that leads to change. You say, what kind of change? Not the kind of change where you think you can change yourself. It's the change in direction. Instead of only looking to yourself for answers, you go to him as the answer for everything that you could ever encounter. You repent. You say, God, I am so sorry for the things in my life that have not honored you. I ask you to wash me, to cleanse me, and to make me brand new. And he will every time. Every time. You see, 2 Corinthians 6, 17, speaking of repentance, it says, Come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing and I will receive you. And I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. This is not God calling us to perfection. This is God calling us to himself. Repentance is answering God's call to come to him. Because when we're living in sin, we're, we're running away from him. We're running away from his goodness. We're running away from his mercy. But God is drawing us all ever closer, saying, come. Don't turn. Don't turn back to sin. Believers in here, you know, you know sometimes believers, you, you, we can get back into bondage. You may say, well, I'm doing pretty good right now. I don't have any open doors. Probably a door salesman coming this week. <laughs> you need to say, God, I'm running to you. I'm not going to take any opportunity that the devil sends my way to live in a way that won't honor you. Repentance. That's the first step. The second is very simple. It's surrender. And oftentimes, this one is probably the hardest one for many because it means relinquishing control. Mark 8, 34 and 35 in the message translation says this, anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat, I am. Follow me and I will show you how. 
Self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way, my way of saving yourself. Those are beautiful words. Beautiful words that surrender is actually the way to freedom. It's actually to say, God, you have the reins of my life. The story I've heard uh, about there was a, a, a legion of Roman soldiers um, and these Roman soldiers became convinced that yes, Jesus was the way and they wanted to go, uh, they, they, they wanted to receive all of the good things that God promises through his son. They want to become followers of Christ. But the story goes that these, these Roman soldiers drew their swords and held their swords overhead and walked into the river and baptized everything but their fighting arm. So that they could say, well, this part of me is just dedicated to war and to death. And doing whatever I see fit in the moment. I think a lot of times, even believers, we'll have a few this morning. <laughs> We, 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 if they try to keep an arm up, we push it down. Uh, nope, you're all the way. But, you know, spiritually, what do we do? We lift up our arms and we just say, okay, God, you can have most of me. But I, I, I want to say to those today, maybe you're not born again. God doesn't want most of you. He wants all of you. Some people get offended when you talk about tithing. Tithing is just the Old Testament principle. The New Testament is he wants it all. God, it's all yours. I'm all the way yours. It's surrender. So we repent. We surrender. And then we commit our lives and I don't want you to think of this as, as in, in any other terms than a wedding. This is a relationship. I don't want you to think of it, man, I have some duties to uphold. You know, um, what I've always found is that the most successful marriages happen because of love. And every need is met when love levels are high. And let me just tell you, Every day, God's love level for you is high. And the covenant he makes with us, he's like, I'm making this covenant with you, and I'm not breaking it. And when you walk in relationship with him, commitment to him is not, <laughs> not hard. When you are daily receiving his love, commit your life to him, though. It is a wedding. Romans 6, 19 says this, Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. He says, man, we used to give ourselves to the relationship with that, that bad way of living. We used to give ourselves fully to that. But now, since we've been forgiven, 
We just offer ourselves fully to that relationship. Which this says, and it leads to holiness. By the way, that word holy best describes God's nature throughout the entire Bible. In heaven, they actually say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. That's the description of heaven, of God. The description of man in heaven toward God is worthy, worthy, worthy. Some people think of God's highest character trait as love. He is full of love. Matter of fact, he fully possesses love. He can't be part love. He's all love. But because he is holy, he loves. Everything flows out of his nature of purity. And if you're here this morning, God has pure intentions for you. That is to take the yoke of sin and break it and saying, son, daughter, I'm making you free. If you'll only receive the free gift of salvation. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you would like more information about the ongoing ministry of Calvary Church, please visit our website at InvernessCalvary.com.